You know, it's been said that you can tell a lot about a nation by those it deems as its heroes. Historically, in America, it's been our military leaders like Major Richard Bong from right here in Poplar, the ace of aces from World War II. Uh, military leaders like that or inventors like Benjamin Franklin or Thomas, and Ed- Thomas Edison or, or the Wright brothers who uh, taught us to fly. Or it's been explorers like Lewis and Clark or Neil Armstrong or John Glenn. Or presidents, which are really too many to, to, to mention or numerous. But our first president, of course, who was a great general in the Revolutionary War and then was the first president of our country and wanted to make sure he was not a king or treated as a king. And then there was, of course, Abraham Lincoln, who helped deliver our nation from the horrors of, of 250 years of slavery. And uh, there's others, many others. But Theodore Roosevelt comes to the front and how he worked so diligently for uh, uh, lower class and working class people. And it was just really uh, an incredible presidency that he had. One of our heroes, not to mention that he also was a military hero. And then there are uh, other indigenous leaders, legends like Red Cloud or Chief Sitting Bull for some, or even for some would consider Geronimo in that camp. And there's civil rights leaders like Dr. Martin Luther King or ordinary people who did extraordinary things for the good of others. Those historically have been the heroes in America. But now our society is in serious decline. And its heroes are Hollywood actors, musicians, various performers, and sports celebrities. Such people are paraded before us day and night with their profane speech, their vulgar concepts, foolish ideas, and their narcissistic lifestyles, with, which include their self-destructive behavior, failed marriages, arrests, stints in drug rehabilitation, their open marriages, same-sex marriages, bankruptcies, high-profile divorces, multiple affairs, adultery, etc., etc., etc. Their broken lives are the source of our daily newscasts, as well as their political diatribes, their anti-Christian rhetoric, their ungodly behavior, and their extravagant lifestyles. One would think that such people would have no followers at, at all. After all, who would ever want to listen to people that appear to be losers like that. But people wait daily with bated breath for the next little tidbit about their said star, waiting to hear the latest gossip, the latest tip on, on the culture or on fashion or on governance or what is the exact reason for their fame, their fortune, and their success. And how in the world, for example, does a trial like Johnny Depp's defamation lawsuit against former wife Amber Heard become the trial of the century with all of the grotesque, lurid, vulgar, and depictions of violence being aired, uh, all that dirty laundry being shared publicly. There certainly are no winners in this, yet millions of people tuned in every single day to hear the juicy details and still cheer on their favorite actor who was actually in a British pub in London, England, when the verdict was handed down that Johnny Depp won the case. How did we ever get to this point that the self-indulgent are now our role models, that they are now our heroes, that they are viewed as the cream of the crop, the best among us, the one who millions of Americans want to emulate and have their children grow up and reach the top of their professions, just like so-and-so or so-and-so. We've arrived at this juncture as a culture 
because we have departed from the Judeo-Christian biblical ethics that were a significant part of our nation's founding. Can I hear an amen? That's, that's where we are, where we are. And some of that is located right here in the book of Proverbs. Like what we studied last week in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 8. The one who gets wisdom loves life. The one who cherishes understanding will soon prosper. But I want you to understand, too, not all of the wisdom in the, is in the Old Testament. There's tons of discussion about wisdom in the New Testament. In fact, in Luke chapter 2, we find Jesus, he was 12 years old when his family traveled to Nazareth, from Nazareth to Jerusalem for the Passover. And they traveled in a caravan with other devout believers who were journeying to go there, spend the week in the festivities there, and journey back the 70 plus miles back. So, you know, four day journey plus uh, each way, and they would be journeying there and then spend a week there. Well, on their way home after day one, Joseph and Mary figured, oh, Jesus isn't in the caravan. He didn't come back with us. So they have to travel a day back to Jerusalem. And it's two days now that have passed, and they're looking all over the city. Remember, there's tens of thousands of people here. They're looking all over the city, and where do they locate him? But none other in the temple courts. And he's listening there to the teachers. He's asking questions. And people are amazed at the questions he asks and even his answers. And we pick up that story in Luke chapter 2, verses 48 through 52. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, stature and in favor with God and in favor with man. Jesus grew in wisdom. He was listening. He was asking questions. He was absorbing instruction. He was obedient. He was experienced the favor of God and the favor of people. In other words, he grew socially. Jesus was wise and godly. And we see it in his childhood as he was growing up. Now, in the book of James, it tells us in James chapter 3, verse 17, but wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Do you see the difference from the world's wisdom and God's wisdom? From our culture's heroes, our celebrities, and that of Jesus? One is from the cesspool of self-indulgence, and the other is directly from heaven. Well, today we're looking at Proverbs chapter 21, verse 17, in a message that I have entitled, Dysfunctional Love. Functional, all by itself, as a word, is an adjective which communicates an ability or a capacity to carry out a function. In other words, functional love is a love that's useful. It's a love that's good. It's a love that's appropriate. Now add to functional, to that adjective, the word, the prefix dis, and we have the opposite occurring. Instead of useful love, instead of good love, instead of appropriate love, we now have love that is useless. It's worthless. We have love that's bad. We have love that's inappropriate. In other words, we have a dysfunctional love. And Proverbs 21, 17 says, whoever loves pleasure 
will become poor. Yeah, they love it. They love pleasure, but they will become poor. That's a useless love. That's an inappropriate love. And it goes on to say, whoever loves wine and olive oil will never be rich. Whoever lives just for happy hour, for Miller time, for the party life, will never be rich. Such love, it tells us here, is devoted in the wrong direction. It's bad love. It's dysfunctional love. And this is the kind of love that flows out in all directions from our cultural heroes in sports and in Hollywood and entertainment. And King Solomon says that the love of high living will eventually lead to poverty. The love of high living will eventually lead to poverty. And Solomon knew a thing or two about living the high life, and that's why he advises against it. In fact, he taught over and over again in Proverbs when it comes to alcohol, when it comes to wealth, and when it comes to pleasure, that moderation is the key to excessive love for those things in those domains. Now, whoever loves pleasure will become poor. Is that really true? Is that really true? I I know a lot of people in my life who love pleasure and they are extremely wealthy. Yes, remember Proverbs are not promises. They are general statements of truth. And all things being equal, if a person's love in life is pleasure, it will lead to their financial ruin. It will eventually lead to their demise. You know, I've personally uh, known and even tried to help a few individuals in my career in ministry who have ruined their lives like Proverbs says here. One of them actually had become a millionaire, multi-millionaire. But they went chasing after headlong after drugs, after alcohol, after women, after get-rich-quick schemes. They made bad investments. They had people lined up all around them who wanted a little of their money. Some of them were family members as well. This person ended up, and to this day, is absolutely broke. And the classic example in our culture of this that occurred in my lifetime was that of heavyweight boxing champion Mike Tyson who squandered nearly $400 million of fortune. That's almost a half a billion dollars and squandered it. And what did he do with it, with all that money? Well, you know, he dropped nearly a million dollars on one car alone. A 420 horsepower Brantley Continental with lamb wool rugs and a top that was glass that could be completely removed. In fact, he spent in total $5 million just on automobiles alone. Can you imagine having enough garages to have $5 million worth of vehicles in them? And then there was the $2 million bathtub with all of its gold fixtures and $140,000 a piece for a Bengal tiger, and he had two of them. And of course, this doesn't take into account his multi, 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 I can't even know how many million dollar mansion he lived in with all of its workforce, its security systems, its security officers, the grounds crew, and all the utilities and upkeep associated with it. Really, it doesn't take that long to figure out Mike Tyson's fortune went right down the drain. Someone who should have been set for life, as well as his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren set for life, ended up filing bankruptcy in 2003. $400 million to bankruptcy. People whose love in life is pleasure, whose love in life is indulging themselves, whose love in life is their lust, and the so-called having a good time with little or no thought to what lies down the road if they continue doing this without restraint or without moderation will, as Proverbs says, end up poor. 
Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, that sermon continues. In verse 24, it goes on to say this, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus warns us in this sermon to check our hearts, to see where our priorities truly are. If pleasure, he says, and drinking and the pursuit of wealth, if that is front and center, then Jesus says, I'm not your Lord. I'm not your God. I'm not your guy. And by the way, Jesus does not play second fiddle to anyone. Our focus in life cannot be on having prosperity or on having certain things in life. It has to be on Jesus. 1 John 2 verses 15 through 17 says it very well also. Do not love the world or anything of the world, in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. All the partying, all the drinking, all the pursuit of pleasure, all the wealth, it all passes away. Nobody takes them with them. I've officiated over 400 funerals. I haven't seen a single person yet take their wealth with them, load the coffin up with, with their wealth. I haven't seen any of that take place. You can't. But whoever does the will of God, whoever knows Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of their life, they will live forever. And the things of this world should never be the chief desire of our heart. There is no room in God's kingdom for divided allegiances. Jesus summed up well this in the Sermon on the Mount where our priority should lie. He said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Love Jesus and don't love the things of the world. Don't have that dysfunctional, inappropriate, useless, bad love for the world because Jesus says, I'll take care of you. All things will be given to you as well. You will be taken care of. You know, the second half of this synonymous proverb, chapter 21 in verse 17b there says, whoever loves wine and olive oil will never be rich. You know, wine and oil were usual items that were used at major high-end banquets in Solomon's era. And even in our day, it's not uncommon for people to spend hundreds of dollars on a special bottle of wine. In some places, in some high-class places, and from certain wineries, and they've been aged for so long, there are people who pay thousands of dollars for a bottle, sometimes over $5,000 for a bottle of wine. Well, oil back in Solomon's time was also extravagant as well. Because if you think we have supply chain problems, imagine having that shipped in by camel from other, the Far East. Or imagine it having to be shipped in by the shipping in the, in, the, in the navies that they had back then. Imagine something like that. It was extremely expensive. Do you remember the, the time when the woman showed up at the, at the, the table just before Jesus' uh, you know, Passion Week there? 
and she takes this jar of alabaster oil and she uh, anoints him with it and pours it over him and, and the, the disciples are what? They're upset. They're mad. What a waste. That's worth a year's wages. That should have been sold and the money given to the poor and it was dumped over Jesus. It was very expensive perfume. And banquets in Solomon's time would be filled with high-priced wines, high-priced oils. The odor of these fine wines and the pricey perfumes would emanate everywhere. And doing such really set people back. It was costly. Now, I have to tell you this. For the sake of biblical integrity, we have to acknowledge that these things were considered by the people of God to be gifts from God, along with bread. And I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 104. And this is a psalm where the psalmist is, is crediting God for all of God's blessings and how God provides for everything in his creation and for humanity. And we pick it up in verse 10 where it says, He makes springs pour out water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. The land gets what it needs. God takes care of them. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. Wine that gladdens human hearts. Oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. When Isaac was passing on his blessing to his son Jacob, who would become the father of the nation of Israel, in Genesis 27, 28, he said basically the same thing. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. Moses did the same thing in his last sermon which was the book of Deuteronomy, to Israel before they were going into the promised land. And he prayed in, Matthew, in Deuteronomy chapter 7 that they would be blessed with this abundance of grain and oil and new wine. You know, the Bible does not say that someone cannot consume a beverage with alcohol in it, but it does very seriously condemn drunkenness. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1 says this, Wine is a mocker. And beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Someone's life that is overtaken by alcohol is not a smart person. That is an unwise individual. The problem with alcohol is that it's a mocker. It creates in people a thirst for more. And it never satisfies that thirst. You know, a person gets a tolerance level, so they got to have more. They got to have more. They got to have more. It doesn't give you the same kick. And so you need more. And then the drinker becomes the drunk. And then the drunk becomes the brawler. Do you know this has been all over the news the last number of weeks? There's a tavern in the city of Superior on Tower Avenue where the chief of police, Nicholas Alexander, wants its liquor license to be removed because there are constant calls to authorities for fighting within this establishment by intoxicated constituents. Sometimes it's multiple calls a week because they're getting into these bar brawls that are happening there and it's taking all these police resources because they cannot control their patrons that are there. The drinker becomes the drunk and then they have all kinds of bravado and they become the brawler. Solomon says that is not a smart way to live. That's the way stupid people live. You know, there's Japanese proverbs that says, first the man takes a drink, then the drink takes a drink, then the drink takes the man. 
You know, a person starts out drinking. You know, okay, that's okay. But pretty soon, the liquor starts to do the talking. And before long, the liquor takes over someone's life. Proverbs says, stay away from people who encourage you to imbibe. Look at chapter 23 with me for a moment, verses 19 through 21. Listen, my son, and be wise, and set your heart on the right path. Listen to what I have to say, son, okay? Be wise so that your life can be on the right path. Do not join with those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. For drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. You know, I had a, f- a friend here in the church who's helped a lot of people out with chemical dependencies because he battled it himself and has been through treatment. He said, I remember one time in an AA meeting where a guy said, I just came to the point where I got so tired of the high cost of low living. You know, we're talking about high living and people think it's high living, but the high cost of low living, that's what this is talking about. You end up in the poorhouse. And you know, we have plenty of people in our country right now who are homeless. And do you know many of the homeless people? are alcoholics, many of them. When I was a young child growing up, you know what people were called? They weren't called homeless. They were called winos, winos. And sometimes they were hobos, but they struggled with chemical addictions. They struggled with alcoholism. Well, chapter 23 is not done. Look with me at verse 29 through 35. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who in life has strife, who has complaints, who has needless bruises, who has bloodshot eyes. Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. Do not glaze at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your minds will imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on the top of the rigging, tossed to and fro all over the place. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I didn't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? Folks, that is an avid description of the tragic consequences of drunkenness. You know, one other text where, uh, in Proverbs is where King Lemuel's mother is warning him to stay away from wine, saying that being a good civic leader and alcohol, those things don't mix. Son, don't do that. Don't do that. You won't be the kind of king that you need to be, that God wants you to be. And that's found in chapter 31, and I'll read verses 1 for 9 for you. The sayings of King Lemuel, an inspired utterance, his mother taught him. This is what his mom taught him. This is what he taught him when he was growing up, because he was going to be a king. But mom taught him these things. Listen, my son. Listen, son of my womb. Listen, my son. The answer to my prayers. I prayed for you, son. You're the answer to my prayers. Do not spend your strength on women, your vigor on those who ruin kings. 
It is not for kings, Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine. It's not for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what was decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. If you devote yourself to all this pleasure, all this parting, this lifestyle, as a king, you will deprive the very people you've been appointed to help, the ones that you need to guide, the ones who are oppressed. Let beer be for those who are perishing. Wine for those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Lemuel, you're appointed to help those who are unfairly and unjustly treated. That's your mission. If you devote yourself to poverty and all that, or pleasure and women and all these other things, you're going to neglect the very reason you're king. Civic leadership and alcohol do not mix well. Well, do you realize that alcohol freely flows in many capital buildings and embassies around the world? And it's been said of the United States of America that if you want to get anything done in this country, you have to work within the three existing party system, especially when it comes to the city of Washington, D.C. There's the Republican Party, there's the Democratic Party, and there is the Cocktail Party, which many believe is how you grease the skids to get things done in Washington, D.C. And sometimes they will even bring in high-priced escorts, ladies of the evening, to add to the pleasure along with the free-flowing alcohol to try to accomplish what people want to accomplish. Is there any wonder why there's so much dysfunction in our government and in Washington, D.C., it's because of all the dysfunctional love for wealth, for pleasure, for alcohol, and I would even add for power. High living will eventually lead to poverty. Whether that poverty is financial poverty, whether that poverty is physical degradation of someone's body, or whether that poverty is spiritual like we're seeing in our nation right now. Would you pray with me, please? God, our Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to look at your word in Proverbs, which speaks of love. But today, it told us about a useless kind of love, an inappropriate love, a love that's really bad, that's worthless. It's love for pleasure. It's love for things of this world. It's love for uh, having a good time in the party life. And Lord, you're telling us that that's not good. In the end, that will lead to our ruin. And it will lead to the devastation of many others in our lives. God, I pray here, if there's anybody that's wrestling in these areas, that they would surrender all of that to you right now. Give it to you and realize that there's a better way to live. There's the plan, God, that you have. A plan of functional love where good happens in our lives. And God, you are the one who will bless us. And I thank you today for that, God. And I pray as your people that we can be the example that we need to be in this world and specifically our culture right now that is so devoted to useless love. And may God, we be the people who love you and love others. And that may that be a blessing to those around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.